passage is from Revelation 15:5 to Revelation 16:21. After this I looked, and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. All of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land. And ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in, in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spears that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the Great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel, for reading that uh, passage. Uh, as uh, our worship leader, uh, Greta, was a sharing, what a doozy uh, of a passage. 
Uh, to read and to come gather on this uh, Sunday. You're like, I was coming in, I smell barbecue, <laughs> things are going to be good, there's rain or shine ice cream afterwards, and then we get hit hard with a message and uh, like a word uh, like this. Hey, my name's Doug, I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love, and we're continuing on on our series on the, through the book of Revelation uh, as we preach through chapter by chapter, word uh, for word, uh, word by word, uh, from God's word. And if you're counting, we're six more chapters away from the end in Revelation 22. So this series will take us all the way to the end of, uh, end of September. So um, yes, hold on to your seats. Uh, hold, hold on tight. It's going to get uh, even, even better. Uh, I want to say, just as I start off here, thank you to the worship team. I know the worship team went through some, uh, something, uh, some things uh, this, this week. has been a challenge. So Sam, Greta, and, the, and Rachel, um, Ashley. Uh, Ashley uh, uh, and Emily for stepping up and, uh, and, and leading us uh, in this beautiful set this morning. Uh, thank you. And also for the barbecue team, as you smell, in order for us to feast, uh, there needs to be people setting the table uh, for us. So they're busy downstairs cooking and barbecuing and grilling away. So thank you for the team there. Uh, chef Roy is leading the charge. Yeah, even brought up his like chef shirt. I don't know what you call that uh, today. So take a picture with him. I'm sure... Uh, he would uh, in, enjoy that. So today in this passage, as we read, there's a lot of plagues, a lot of ju- words like judgment and pain and blood. And I want to focus our eyes this morning on the passage, that the passage isn't so much on the plagues itself, but who and why they're there. So I want to shift our eyes uh, and have, uh, have us understand that. Like, why are the plagues there? Who is giving it? And, and what is going on here? Second, the passage we read this morning, we have to understand, it's also after the ways that God has reached out to man, mankind, men, men and women. This is all after the, the work of Jesus on the cross. This is after the new, uh, we read, what do we read in the Gospels through the work of Jesus, performing miracles, healing, uh, loving, uh, sacrificing his life for people. And then we come to this passage like this in Revelation. And often we can come to this and we, we would say, see, like God is so wrathful. God is so angry. Like, how can we follow and love a God like this? But we forget all the things that God has already done to reach out to, 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 to us uh, so that we would have this relationship with him. Now, to simply, bro- I'm not going to go through every single plague, um, but to summarize, plagues one to four, it's a plague on the natural world. And then plagues five to seven, it's a plague on uh, um, uh, a plague on the beast dominion. So all those that ascribe to following the beast, which we've been going through Revelation, represent the evil one, represent any force or thinking or culture that's anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, that does not follow his ways. And a big idea for us this morning is this, that God is justified to do what he chooses to do. When we read passages like this, and we, we can say God seems so angry. Well, but God, he's justified. He's justified to do what he chooses to do. Our family has been making our way through the series, America's Got Talent. Uh, we have it, I don't know what, uh, saved uh, through cable. Uh, we're thankful for cable because my wife got that for me for a birthday a couple years ago, and it's still around. So, uh, yes, so America's Got Talent, we've been making our way through it. And you see all sorts of shows, right? All sorts of talents. When the judges come up and be like, what's your talent? And they don't reveal to you, usually is either really good or something not as good. Uh, and there's people that think it's talent, but it's not really a talent. Some people that think they're really good at something, but they're really not that great uh, at it. But I love this show because it gives a platform to people that normally wouldn't have a platform. 
People from all parts of the world, uh, people uh, that come from all sorts, uh, all walks of life that wouldn't have this kind of platform. As Simon Cowell says, these three minutes could change your life as they audition. And I've had tears, I've laughed, I've cringed, all sorts of things. And, and, and for what it's worth, the four judges, they, they, they're the judges. Uh, they're the ones that say whether this will make it to the next round, uh, to the live auditions uh, or, or not. Uh, what makes them the judges? I don't know, besides maybe they started the show or that's who they're invited uh, for. Uh, they're invited to be judges on the show. But as we think about judges, God's not like that. <laughs> God's not like the judges on HGT because God is perfect. Uh, the judges on HGT may make mistakes. They may see incorrectly, maybe according to their preference, according to what they think, what they know, uh, their own experiences. But God's not like that. God is justified to do what he chooses to do because God is perfect in all his ways. And we see in the passage here, the first point for us this morning as God is justified to do what he chooses to do, that judgments come from a perfectly holy God. He, judgments come from a perfectly holy God. Well, Doug, where do we get this from? You, you have your Bibles, you can open up with me, but it's on the screen here as well. Chapter 15, verse 5, after this, after this last week's sermon on the marks of a disciple, of how, uh, of how, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus, after this, after what John, the apostle, saw and continues to see, he saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. The covenant law, covenant meaning promise, the law where it's kept, where God is not only loving, but he's also just, and he's good. He's a law-keeping kind of God, a promise-keeping kind of God. In verse 6, out of the temple came the seven angels, seven again in scripture, and throughout this passage meaning perfect. So the perfect amount of angels came out with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. And some commentators and theologians attribute this to the Old Testament priests and how they come out and they represent God and they pronounce God's words. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Catch this, verse 8. The temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of seven angels were completed. I'm not sure what images come to mind when you read this passage, but I think of God's holiness. I think of his separateness. E even later on when the angels are, 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 are declaring in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, who were and you are. And they recognize God's holiness, his separateness, how he is different and apart from all other things uh, in this world. And you get images here as well as we read through this passage, scenes of Exodus, right, the covenant law, and the plagues, how God sent judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt in order to what? Why did the judgment come? It was actually to free his people. It was to free his people so that they can live lives towards God, not under the oppression of Pharaoh. And also we get images of the temple in Isaiah, right? The train of his robe as Isaiah looks uh, to the temple and sees, doesn't exactly see God because God's too holy. He says, I'm, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. But he looks into the temple and the train of his robe fills the temple. We get glimpses of this, the holiness and the perfection of God. And this temple in verse 8 we see was filled with smoke and no one could enter. What does that mean? 
I thought God is approachable. I thought God is good. I thought God is loving. Why is it the temple is filled with smoke and we can't exactly enter into it? Some commentators think that it has to do with half the waiting of God's wrath has to be done, that God's wrath is so powerful and so strong that nothing and no one, anything in creation could come into his presence because they would just be gone. That's, that could be part of it. But I think the other part as well, it is his holiness. It is God's separateness, how we can't exactly see the face of God because he is so perfect without us going away and melting away and disappearing from this earth. I'm not sure where the hottest place on earth you've been to. Uh, maybe some of you just came back from Asia. Maybe that, that, that's where it's really hot for you. I think the hottest part uh, on earth that I've been to was in uh, Nevada. Our family was visiting. Uh, we flew into Las Vegas, and then we rented a car and drove across uh, to, um, to see the Grand Canyon. And we stopped at Hoover Dam, where all the other tourists were stopped to admire this big dam, uh, this big uh, marvel of engineering, this engineering feat. And as my mom opened the door, she, uh, I could feel the furnace outside. I could feel the heat. And she's like, Doug, yelling from me. He's like, come out, take a photo. I'm like, forget it. Ha! Forget it. You, you stay out there, mom. I'm not coming out. I opened the door and I felt the furnace. You know what? You ever bake something? You open the oven door and it just blasts you in the face? Well, that was exactly it. I'm like, forget it. It's like, we didn't drive all this way so for you to stay in there. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's go out. The photo of me super grumpy, super hot. I'm not sure what the hottest place is for you of something like that, but imagine this, but a thousand infinite times more, where literally you just, you just melt away, burn away in the holiness, in the face of the holiness of this God that we follow in this love. And this is the context of the wrath that mankind and all the creation faces. This is the God that we encounter. He's not... This Jesus is my homeboy. We wear him on our t-shirt kind of God at this moment here. We have to understand that he is this kind of God as well, perfectly holy, perfectly holy and apart, not like nothing else in this world. He's not only perfectly holy, but he's also perfectly just. Judgment come from a perfectly just God. We read in verses 4, uh, to seven, as I jump ahead in the passage here, the third angel poured his bowl on the rivers and the springs of the water, and it became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and you, and, and you who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard in verse seven, and I heard the altar respond, yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just or your judgments. You have your Bibles here. That's, those are the words you want to circle. Just as you see it in verse 5 uh, and also in verse 7. That our God is just. Perfectly just. As we think of people putting on judgment upon others. Maybe there's the judge in our law courts. There's the police officer that gave you your speeding ticket. Uh, there's a parking officer that gave you your parking ticket. You're like, oh, you know, you're wrong. And they could be because they're human. Maybe we think of our teachers, we think of our parents who's given us judgments, like, you deserve this, go to your room, you know, like that, that kind of, you deserve, uh, you stay after school, uh, you, have to, you have to sit and, 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 and bask in the mistakes <laughs> that you have made uh, for that day. We think of those, and, and I want to say, I want to honor them, yes, people, uh, God has placed people of authority in, in our lives to keep structure and order, and they're meant to reflect the order and the love and the justice of God as they implement justice in our society. 
but they're also human. They make mistakes, just like in AGT, as I talked about before. I think back to my time in Hong Kong. I lived there for a year, and I was born and raised in Vancouver, but when my parents divorced, we moved back to Hong Kong because my mom's family's there, and I, 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 we, were, we lived there for one year, but we didn't know that at that time. So my mom put me into a Cantonese, a public Cantonese school because that was the closest school, and we don't know how long we're going to be there, and we couldn't afford private school. So we're there, and it was amazing how little I understood. Uh, I sat in that classroom. I thrived in English. That was great, that class. But everything else was taught in Chinese and Cantonese. And I sat there just like, you know, like, <laughs> like nodding. This is great. I remember one, one recess, I was walking down a hallway, and a teacher comes and pulls me by the arm, different times, different cultures, pulls me by the arm and drags me into the principal's office and said, you're not supposed to be there. Didn't you read the sign? And before I could respond to her, I was sitting in the principal's office, and the principal was like, Doug, did you not read the sign? I'm like, the sign's in Cantonese. <laughs> the sign's in Chinese. So no, I didn't read the sign. He's like, the sign's the staff only. And the immediate punishment is for you to have detention after school and sit and write about why you're not supposed to walk down. This is for staff only. And I repeated that line, writing it in Chinese. I learned to write a few more characters, uh, but I didn't read. I was like, what an injustice. What injustice, like I'm some new kid from Canada that can't speak English, as I speak Cantonese, I couldn't speak English much either, but like I can speak Cantonese, and here I'm getting punished for it. But here, God, he's perfectly just. He's perfect in all his ways. God does not make mistakes. God sees truly and rightly. Verse 4, you are just. Verse 7, true and just are your ways. This word for just, it's not just being like, like, like right, it's the utmost uprightness there is possible. It's a definition of fairness, the most fair possible, the most just a person could possibly be. That's what this word can be translated into. As I just mentioned, God, he doesn't make mistakes in the ways that he sees the world, in the ways that he sees you, in the ways that he sees me. But this is where the news here, even as bad and as scary and as gory as it sounds, as terrible as all this is, there is good news found in all the scripture. As holy as God is, that in the face of God, we will simply just be obliterated, even though God is so just that everything he says is right. Even through all of that, even during judgment, God graciously and mercifully gives opportunity for repentance and relationship. I'm not sure if you caught that in the passage. Even in judgment, God is gracious and merciful to give an opportunity for repentance and relationship. Verse 8 to 11, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over all these plagues. But what? But they refused to repent and glorify him. Now the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdoms was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. But what? But they refused to repent of what they had done. We can look at this passage and be like, look what God is doing, which is what they're seeing. God is causing all this. Why is he causing all this pain? Forgetting how he's already sent his son Jesus. Forgetting how he's been trying to get their attention the whole time. Saying, I love you. I'm there beside you. I'm trying to have this relationship 
with you. But even in the judgment, even in all that is going on here, God is saying there is a chance to repent, which simply means to turn back, to turn away from the ways we were going and turn back towards God, turn back towards the one that knows us, that loves us, that created us, and saying, come home, son, come home, daughter. Where I am, God is saying, is the best place for you to be. That's the best place for you to be. But they refuse to repent. And my mind goes off in this moment as I read passages like this. And I had a conversation with someone this week from our church. And it's like, yeah, passages like this are, are, are great. I agree. But what about those that haven't heard Jesus yet? Heard about Jesus yet? What about those that truly don't know God? You know, that one random person on that deserted island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? That's usually... Uh, the example that's given, I'm praying for that person that they'll be found first. Uh, they probably don't want to be on that one <laughs> deserted island. But even in that, I believe that true God, God, as just and as good as he is, he knows all that. If someone truly never had an opportunity to hear of the gospel, if someone truly has never been revealed, uh, God never revealed himself to that person, then never thought once that there's a higher being. Never once thought that there might be something else, another purpose to this life. Why am I here? I, I believe if I could think of that as a mere and imperfect human being that's not just, that's not good, how much more would God think about something like that and know something like that? But let's throw in some apologetics, right? Which I do not have up there. Okay, don't worry about it. Some apologetics in our understanding that there's a difference between the different revelations that we have, right? There's special revelation. These are theological terms, all right? Follow along with me. Natural revelation and specific special revelation. A special revelation is like Moses in the burning bush kind of thing, where God shows up, and without God there, Moses would not have heard a voice, would not have heard the call of God, where God speaks and reveals himself to people. And maybe you have had those special moments, Maybe in worship, maybe in a conversation, maybe in reading scripture where you heard the voice of God speaking to you. But there's also something called natural revelation where God reveals himself through nature as well. That God reveals himself in passages like in Psalm 119, verses 1 to 4. The heavens declare uh, the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun, that God is in action, that all things in creation point towards him and reveal him. We've been going through a prayer course uh, during our Sunday morning uh, uh, community learning time, and last week the speaker there said, no one has ever looked up into the heavens and said, wow, I am so great. Not even Elon Musk, I'm sure. That when they see the stars, they see nature, no one stands in the Grand Canyon and be like, wow, I am massive. I created all of this. I am bigger than all of this. No, 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 no. That's God's way of reaching and speaking to us. How gracious and loving, even though we deserve judgment and wrath, God is still giving us opportunity to repent. And this repentance it comes from his kindness because his kindness leads us back to his repentance and wants us to have this relationship with him, not just because he's wrathful, but because he's perfectly just 
and he can't deny himself. God knows what is right perfectly. And we see here in the rest of this passage, which I don't have time this morning to go all the way through, but we read in this passage in 13 uh, onwards, Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs, and they came out of the mouth of the dragon, mouth of the beast, and mouth of the false prophet. Three characters that we've talked about in previous times in which the ways of evil, the ways of Satan are being implemented into the world. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them from the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and is shamefully, shamefully exposed. Even in the midst of the wrath and the pain, there's the voice of Jesus reminding and calling his sheep, saying, hold on, this world is not it. Then they gathered the king's the evil ones gather the kings together to the place that is in Hebrew, that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Something, maybe, maybe that's something new to you. Armageddon isn't only an event, it's actually a place. Uh, it's a place in the Middle East that scholars have kind of isolated and come down to. Um, but symbolically, really what it comes down to is not so much whether it is a one major battle or it is a place or not but that all of the worlds, all of the kings of the world will wage war against God and his people, but they will not win. That's the point here. They'll come up against God and they will not win. They try to ascend the mountain of God, but God is like, no, you will not have your way because of who I am. Do you know who it is that you're facing up against? And that comes to another point here. Now, I was watching a sermon this week, and I've seen it before, it's by uh, Vadi Bakum, and he teaches heavily in Gospel Coalition uh, about, um, uh, about marriage, about men, uh, men in the faith, and about the church and, all, and whatnot. And he was speaking about the kingship of Jesus. And it was fascinating to me. I never thought about it in this way before. Where he said, you don't actually crown Jesus as king when you receive him as Lord. Well, when you come towards Jesus, you'll be like, Jesus, I'm going to make you my king now. I receive, you know, Jesus into my heart and he's, you know, cute little Jesus is sitting <laughs> inside of our hearts and he's king of my life and we sing that and that, yes, that's all true, but we don't actually make him king. You don't make him king like you make the king, any king of any nation king right now. You actually submit and you acknowledge the kingship of Jesus because whether you think he's king or not, whether you make him king or not, it doesn't actually matter because he's already king. And that's what Revelation has been revealing to us already, that Jesus is actually already king. Whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we think it, we know it, whether we live it or not, he's already king. He's already reigning. He's already seated on the throne, in control over all things. It's not our choice to make Jesus king or not because he's already king. So we don't crown him, but we submit to him. We honor him. We acknowledge that he is king. We acknowledge his kingship. But as, I, as we talk about wrath, as I come to an end here, all this about wrath, even though King Jesus is perfectly just, he's perfect and just and holy, look at what King Jesus chooses to do. Look at what God chooses to do. The seventh angel in verse 17 
poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. It's not up there, but I'm going to continue reading because it's important. Then there are some flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever been, has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. Seventh and final bowl was poured, and you heard a loud voice saying, it is done. And what does that remind you of? Reminds us of the voice of Christ found throughout Scripture, but specifically in John 19, of Christ hanging on the cross for you and for me, for all of humanity, saying, it is finished. It is finished. Look at what King Jesus chooses to do. It is finished here. Even with all the wrath, all the pain, all of it, it's not something that brings God joy, but it is done. It needs to be done because I'm perfectly holy, I'm perfectly just, and this must come into being, but he chooses here to say it is done. He chooses to love. It is finished. He chooses to love. He chooses to forgive. I'm not sure what it is for you this morning as you come into this place. We've been wrestling through a lot of deep-hearted issues here, and some of us are in a very deep and dark place right now, a very painful place. And this message this morning of Jesus saying it is done, it is finished, it's good news for you because I don't know what it is that needs to be done in your life. Maybe it's the fear of death and death has robbed you of joy and you're living in fear, but death is no more, it is done. The pain you're struggling with, the pain that you're going through, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, God has already conquered all of that. Maybe it's the purposelessness, maybe it's the direction in life, maybe it's the struggles in your family, maybe it's the struggles in your work, Maybe he's doubting yourself. I'm not sure what it is. But here within wrath, within the pain, within the holiness and justice of God, he is saying it is done and he chooses still to have a relationship with us. So the question for, that, leave, that we're left with this morning is, what is your choice? Because God, through revelations, through all scripture, he's laid it all out of how far he's willing to go to love you. How far he's willing to go to say, you're mine. You don't need to live this life on your own, under your own strength. So if you're tired and you're weary, he's saying, come to the altar. Come and experience grace like you haven't. Come experience purpose like you haven't. Come experience love like you haven't. Come because it's going to be okay. I know all things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your goodness. God, I thank you for your justice, for your holiness, for all the evil and all the things we see in this world that are not right. One day, you will make all things right again when we are with you in a, in a place where the streets are made out of gold, where there's no more weeping, no more, uh, no more crying, no more pain, no more fears, no more tears, God. I pray that you speak to us now and that you minister to your people now while we live here on earth as we go through this place now with all the pain and suffering, all the heartache that we're going through. God, I pray that you speak and may your spirit minister to us now. Call us back to you. Father, we thank you that you are right and that you are good and that you are trustworthy. In you, we can find no fault 
So, Father, give us faith this morning to walk in your ways. Every single step may be glorifying to you. And, may we, when, and when we are in the unknown, may we cling on to the truth of Scripture and to cling on to the words of, that you have given us and to know, God, that you are with us. So, Father, thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.